Hey, listen, I got a couple of opportunities to, for you to, to use your servant's heart, okay? I mentioned last week about camera people, and uh, I, I wanted to clarify something. We're not asking you to carry a, cam- a camera, okay? Uh, some people may have visualized like you see on the side. No, no. We have cameras. They're right back here. There's two guys. Turn around and look at them and maybe wave at them, let them know that you see them. This is where you'll be. It has power steering, power brakes, and air conditioning. <laughs> right? We bear no, you know, we don't hold back anything. And they'll tell you where to point and when to point, and you will be able to relieve these guys and help them. We need a couple of guys also to help us uh, set up stage. Uh, if you can move around, and I think the heaviest thing is this table. If you'll see me after service, uh, I'll be glad to help you. And if you want to be a cameraman or a camera lady, if you will contact Kelly, just call, uh, or excuse me, Jess. Call Tomoka and say, I'd like to speak with Jess, and she will come to the phone, okay? Okay? All right, you're with me. Don't lose me, okay? Uh, I heard of a great human interest story the other day. It seemed like in this little town, a new pastor came to town, and church was excited. Tom and Grace come to serve this church. Like a lot of country churches, uh, they didn't pay a lot, so Grace was a beautician, and she opened a barber shop. And uh, in that church was a businessman. And the businessman had a heavy beard. And if you guys got a heavy beard, you know the drudgery of waking up in the morning and, and you're running late and you look and you have the five o'clock shadow that's followed you to seven o'clock the next day. Well, he decided that he would, being uh, Grace had the barbershop, he would support her. And so he went down to the barbershop and said, I want to shave. And uh, she shaved him real good. She started to leave. She said, that'd be $25. Well, he paid her. And when he walked out of his side, he thought, you know, I want to do this every day, but $25 for a shave. So he went on home. The next morning, he got up, got looked in the mirror. His face looked great, freshly shaved. Next several days, the same way. He was beginning to wander after a week, he looked, and he didn't need a shave, didn't even need to shave on the weekend. The whole thing went the next week, and he was completely confused. So he asked his wife. He said, look, I don't know what's going on, but I haven't shaved in two weeks. Ever since I went down to Grace's Barbershop, the wife said, don't be silly. You've been shaved by Grace, and once shaved, always shaved. <laughs> Little theology never hurts anybody, right? <laughs> All right. I, you know, I had a hard time titling my message. It could be gnats and flies and things. Uh, how many of you have ever experienced no seams? Oh, yeah, isn't that fun? You just, we, my wife and I in 2003 moved over to Daytona Beach and had a great house and we were right on the water and I went out and I was looking at my dock and all of a sudden, you know, you kind of start and you can't see anything. They're just all over you. That was one of the plagues. You see, God had a purpose in what he was doing. And I've had people say to me, Preacher, was God just like punishing 
Pharaoh? I mean, was this all about Pharaoh? And it, it, listen, when you harden your heart against God, punishment follows. Uh, if you look at what's going on, there's kind of a pattern. You read and Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh down at the Nile River. He's going to the Nile for one reason. He's going to bathe. He's, he's going to cleanse himself and he can't, he looks and here comes Moses and Aaron. Uh, they show up at the palace, Moses and Aaron. Sometimes though, these plagues come without any warning at all. In fact, the third, sixth and the ninth plague, there was no warning. Boom. They just hit Egypt. Something else about those plagues. As they began with the blood, the Nile turning to blood, each plague became more severe and each plague began to come closer and closer together. We're going to look at these this morning. We're going to follow these. The first one is, uh, we'll look at is in the eighth chapter, verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats or noceums in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were great gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth become gnats in all the places of Egypt. Excuse me. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats, but they could not. Now, you remember up until then, every time Moses and Aaron would produce a plague, the magicians, they could replicate that plague. But it was kind of silly because all they did is make matters worse. But in this plague, they could not replicate it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is important, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Isn't it a pitiful? Gnats all over the earth. You couldn't escape them. Uh, they're, they're just everywhere. And, and we're beginning to see a breakdown. Again, the reason God brought these plagues against Pharaoh was that Pharaoh represented the gods. As I've said before in earlier messages, these are the 10 major gods of Egypt. And what God is doing, he wants to proclaim himself as Lord over all of the earth. So what is the best way to do that? You come against the very man that is the ruler of over then over the earth. And so you turn his heart, you turn his nation. And you see, that's the key. If the United States ever wants again to become that evangelistic, that light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we got to change the hearts of our leadership. You know, I got in trouble this last election saying this, but the Bible tells us, commands us, we are to pray for the authorities over us. And I'm afraid there are people in the land, if the right guy doesn't get elected, they're not going to pray for him. And if their guy gets elected, they're going to pray for him. You know something? When you disobey God in the nth degree of the law, that's sin. And when God commands us to do something, there's a reason behind it. 
Think about if the Christian nation, everyone who had been called by Christ's name, had begun to pray, regardless, Democrat, Republican, who's in the White House, who's in our city legislature, who's the governor of Florida. As we begin to pray and ask God to turn their heart towards God, that will make a difference because God promised, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will look down from heaven and I'll heal their land. You see, we need to follow God. God just doesn't throw out commandments. He doesn't wake up one morning and say, I wonder what I can make people do. You see, that's not what he's trying to do. He is gently nudging you or sometimes a good swift kick where it matters to get you in line with his will because we know that when we walk in the will of God, that is the safest place in life to be. Pharaoh didn't listen. And the magician said, this must be the finger of God. Well, in chapter 9, we see something else happen. All the livestock. Verse Chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Does it say this? Ah, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. That's been the call. And if you recall, Pharaoh would say, okay, go a day's distance. Then he would change his mind. Go ahead and worship God in our land. And Moses said, your people will stone me because we are worshiping our true God and we are doing it in front of them and they'll stone us. Let my people go. The whole issue is to God is answering the cries and the pleas of the his people, the Jewish people, for nearly 400 years, crying for deliverer. God is answering it. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the land of the the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. Livestock is what? It's the economy. It's a shortage of food. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction, note this, between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. First time that's happened. So that nothing at all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow, God always has a time. You know, there There's an old song of the church, Almost Persuaded. And in the words of that song, it talks about now. We, Paul, before uh, a wicked king, the king said to almost, King Agrippa said, almost, you persuade me to become a Christian. You see, it's not the almost. God always has a day and a time in which he's going to bring his will. He's going to bring his word. He's going to do what he said, regardless of whether we're ready or not. Let's pick it up. Tomorrow, the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. (laughs) God is not slack on his promises. When he says tomorrow, tomorrow, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. 
but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Hardness. I titled my message, How Do You Break a Hardened Heart? You don't wake up one morning and your heart is hard against the Lord. You remember when Paul told us to beware of drifting? You know, we don't pay much attention to drift. But if you get in a boat and you head out Ponce Inlet and you're going to the Bahamas, beware if your boat goes a tad to the right or a tad to the left. You'll never find the Bahamas because the further you go, the further away from where you're headed. And that's the same thing in a relationship with God. So many times when people experience trials, issues in their life, problems, death in the family, sickness, when we may begin to face this, one of the first things that seems to happen is people stop gathering together in the church. They stop going to church. And when they stop going to church, they stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. In fact, they isolate themselves from everything around them that is that hand of security. You see, you don't wake up in your heart all of a sudden. But the more that you resist the call of God in your life, the more you resist in giving yourself in totality to the Lord and entrusting him with the life that he gave you, the harder your heart will become. And, you know, if you are rejecting salvation, there, there may be some of you this morning that have never received Christ as your Savior. And you think, okay, another day will be fine. Let me tell you, I've stood by the bedside of wicked men and women who have rejected God all of their life. And in one particular instance, as a young pastor, this man who had been bedridden for months sat straight up in bed, pointed his finger and began to curse God in language that not heard on the street. It, it broke my heart because here was a person that was going to enter eternity and stand before God. But he was so hardened, he had no fear, and it led to a disaster. Pick up at verse 8, Mike, please. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take hands full of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land. So they took the soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw the dust in the air. And it became boils breaking out in sores on man and on beast. And the magicians... (laughs) could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Let me me tell you something here. 
The Lord is now saying to Pharaoh, you want your heart, your heart hardened? Go ahead. I'm going to step out of the way and I'm not going to interfere. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoke to Moses. Bowls. Even the magicians could not stand before Pharaoh because of the bowls. Pick up a verse 13, Mike. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourselves before Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all of my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all of the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the, from the earth. But for this purpose... I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. Remember those two verses. We're coming back. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, here he goes again. About this time tomorrow, I'll cause my very heavy hail to fall. Such has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into a safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried and his slaves hurried and his his livestock into his houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Can you see now? We're beginning to see some things. First, the magician stood up to Pharaoh publicly. Listen, you have to visualize the court. I've been in that court many, many times where Moses and Aaron challenged Pharaoh. It's a huge court. And when court was held and Pharaoh was in session, it was filled to the brim. And the magicians stood before that crowd, before Pharaoh, and said, we're helpless. This is the finger of God. What they were saying to him is, you better listen. This is the one true God. Now we see that God gives the Egyptians an opportunity. He gives Pharaoh an opportunity. He says, tomorrow hell is going to come. Now, if you get your servants out of the field, you get your livestock out of the field, they will be spared. But if you don't, They'll be, they'll be killed. And we see in this passage that the people, some of his servants was wise. And so there are some in Egypt that are beginning to know that there's something going on here. There's something higher and greater than the gods that they serve because they're seeing it. They're feeling it. They're seeing a difference between what's happening to them and what's happening to the people in the land of Goshen. Here's a lesson I want us to learn from this. Number one, God is sovereign. 
Now, that just tears the liberal theologians up and a bunch of woke people. Nobody can be sovereign over me. I have my own free will. Whatever I want to do, I can do, and whatever I believe is right. That is the philosophy of this day. I remember a couple of years ago, one of the guys just was challenging me about God's sovereignty and his laws and the will of God. And he said, I have the right to do anything I want to do and believe anything I want to do. And I have the right to slap you. And I said, amen, brother. And I have the right to come back with this right hand. Oh, wait a minute. You're a Christian. You can't do that. I said, wait a minute. According to your gospel, whatever's right for you is right for you. And whatever's right for me is right for me. So let me just give you this warning. Don't swing because that swings both ways. You see, what amazes me is the foolishness of the argument of a woke generation. Just think about what they believe. Think about what they want to do. Right now, would you ever believe that thousands of people are marching in order to have the right to kill a baby? I mean, that's that's mind-blowing. And some of the things that they're saying... And we're just, you know, administration just folds his hands and says nothing. Listen, God is a sovereign God. He is sovereign because he created everything that was created. And the Bible says there is nothing created that wasn't created by him. Not only that, when you read Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, wonderful voices that challenge me every day. When Israel was worried about going back and building a temple, They came before and they were praying to God. And God said to them this, what kind of temple are you going to build for me? I have made everything. That verse begins by saying, God's throne is in heaven and the earth is his footstool. And God's way is not a vindictive, micromanaged, do it my way philosophy that you see in the world. God has set up certain perimeters whereby if we live by them, we are blessed. And if we forsake what God has set up, we are not blessed. We're going to read Psalms, some Psalms in just a moment that talk about the shelter which God is for us. We need to understand God is a sovereign God And everything he has done is because he loves the creation he created, even to the point of sending his only son to the cross to suffer the sins of all humanity for all times and to be placed in a cold grave only for God's hand to turn and resurrect him that third day. God is sovereign. His way is not only the best way, his way is the only way. But that way, folks, is an inclusive way through Jesus Christ. See, this was an evangelistic effort. Look, go back, Mike, to that chapter 9, verse 14 and 16. Let's see the purpose behind this. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and yourself and your servants and your people, that you may know that there is none like me, In all the earth. Remember, God against God. 
people helpless as they have listened and literally turned their lives over to them. God said, I want you to know there's not anyone like me on earth, okay? But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, it went beyond his purpose, the land of Goshen. Even in this verse right here, you see the great commission that Jesus Christ himself proclaimed. All of the earth to know his name. Well, not only that, God is a covering for his people. We won't need to read these, but we, you, you can go back and you remember when God said, I'm going to set aside the land of Goshen. And that plague is not, those gnats are not going to bother him. You remember when God said, all of the livestock is going to die except for my people's God is your covering. Think about that. He's your covering. Look at uh, Psalms 27, 1. The question is, why do you live in fear? You know, we've got people living in fear today. I admit there's, the last couple of years have been years like we've never seen before. But you see, fear casts out love because you replace trust and love for Almighty God who is our covering, the assurity of our salvation, and we replace that with fear of the unknown. And you all know, the greater you fear the unknown, the greater the unknown becomes. Remember when you were a kid? Holler, you'd see something on the the window of your house, in your bedroom, in your window, and it would look like a monster, and you'd scream and holler, Daddy, 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 come get me, and they'd turn on the light, and it was a grasshopper. But in your mind, in that dark, it was gigantic. Look at this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is not living foolishly. It's not living foolishly. Listen, when we obey the laws of the land, we can live in without fear of, let's say, a policeman catching us. Right? If we live within the realm, the God hath that had the life that God has called us to live, who shall you fear? I want you to answer that this morning. Because there may be some of you here fearing. There may be somebody online that is watching because they're in fear. Whom shall you fear if God is sovereign and he is? No. He's our light and our salvation. Psalms 37, 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. God is our salvation. God is our stronghold. 94.22. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge, standing on the solid foundation. 144.2. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. Proverbs 10. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless and the destruction and to destruction of evil doers. Do you see this? The way of the Lord 
is a stronghold to the blameless. It's not living in perfection. Listen, if perfection was the key, I wouldn't be up here this morning. I wouldn't be anywhere. We are to walk blameless before the Lord. How do you walk blameless? There's no sin in your life that God can bring to your mind in which you have not sought forgiveness. Now, the problem sometimes is we are convicted. We pray and we ask God to forgive us and cleanse us from sin, but we hold on to the memory. You see, that's not the punishment of God. That's your own punishment for not really believing it. When God said, I will cast your sins behind my back as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember them no more. Why do you fear? I picked this up in my morning devotion, Psalm 34. If you haven't read it right recently, go home and read Psalm 34. It's, you see, it's a proper, uh, it's very important to keep things into perspective, uh, especially when we're overwhelmed by pressures of temptation or when we go through times of need. There is a key in this psalm is that the bless the Lord and praise him at all times. Now, I'm not talking about if you fall down and break your leg, you say, thank you, Lord, I broke my leg. I really appreciate that. Okay? That would be what I call stupid theology. Okay? But when you're going through, see, you're going to go through stuff. Israel went through the plague. God had his hand over them. They suffered some, but not all. They were in the presence of danger, but God's hand was over them. And you praise God in all things, in all circumstances. Apostle Paul said something very important. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You see, we're assured of his protection and we're assured of his provision. In verse 7 of Psalms 34 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him. In verse 9 and 10, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, all you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord can have no lack of anything. A lot of people scoff when I say those things. They say, well, I have, there's things I'm suffering from. I went to the store and there wasn't any toilet paper. I went to the store and my favorite cut of meat wasn't in there. You see, that's not suffering, folks. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't know how you're going to survive the day, much less what you're going to eat or drink, that's suffering. Because God has promised his provisions. What he has never promised is everything we want. You know why? Well, an old country uh, song tells you why. Thank God for prayer that go unanswered. Because God knows and the things that sometimes we just lust for will be the very downfall of our life. Finally, your unrepented sin not only affects you, it affects everybody around you. I've heard people say, oh, you know, nobody knew this sin only affects me. No. 
consequences of your sin, sins that you have not seek forgiveness for, is a consequence to everyone around you. So what's the solution? Where Pharaoh's heart was hardened, what we do is humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before God and we say, Lord, I need you as a refuge. I need you as a strong tower. There's a psalm that says you make a roadway in the wilderness and you make a crooked road straight. God, that's what I need. Lead me. There's some of you this morning that has rejected God's voice calling you to salvation. And you're sitting there thinking you have another time. I spoke recently with a a person 89 years old. And they said, I've just started thinking about where I'm going to spend eternity. And I said to them, I think you're about 80 years late. But it's never too late to come to the Lord. You see, that's the reason to proclaim Jesus. Number one, to encourage you who believe. Number two, to encourage you to confess your sins. Walk blameless before God. Stay in his stronghold. Stay under his hand. And come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Be baptized. Walk in newness of life. I don't care if you're 90 years old. There is a newness of life which God will give you in an eternity to bless and thank him for you. In a moment, I'm going to be standing right down here next to this. If you have a prayer need, if you will come. If you want to know more about coming to Jesus, don't put it off another day because we're not guaranteed another day. Come to Jesus now. Lord, as we come to you, thank you for the word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its promise. Thank you for its provision. And I pray now, Lord, call to you those that you are speaking that we may see, Lord, newness of life. Release, Father, from the tensions, the pressures, and trials of this world because you're a sovereign God enthroned. In Jesus' name, amen.